1: Welcome
2: to the Real Change series on the Meta Hour with Sharon Salzberg. Inspired by Sharon's newest book, Real Change, this series features conversations with activists, artists, and teachers, all discussing the intersection of meditation and social action. To learn more, visit realchangebook.com. Hi, I'm Sharon Salzberg, and I'm speaking today with Mark Solomon. Mark is a nationally recognized political strategist and campaign leader. With 25 years of experience in strategy, campaign management, policy development and execution, messaging and communications leadership, and field mobilization, Mark has a deep track record of assembling winning bipartisan campaigns on the most challenging issues. He was one of the key architects of the marriage equality movement and has applied lessons from the marriage equality movement to help secure impactful criminal justice reforms, pass laws enacting automatic voter registration, advance pro-immigrant policies, and build bipartisan support for ending partisan gerrymandering. For the last two years, Mark was a key strategist on Florida Amendment 4, the successful ballot campaign to restore the ability to vote to people convicted of felonies. He's also the author of the book, Winning Marriage, the Insight Story of How Same-Sex Couples Took on the Politicians and Public and Won, which was named a Best Book of 2014 by Slate Magazine. Welcome to the Meta Hour, Mark.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here.
2: So uh, talking to or even thinking of you, I think about the year 2000 <laughs> when we met at the uh, Insight Meditation Society during the three-month retreat that was being held there. And, um, of course, it was a a strange year in, in so many ways. And what we do during U.S. presidential election years when there's an intensive retreat going on like that is the next morning, the morning after the retreat, we put a folded up piece of paper on the bulletin board, which is like the hub of, you know, all things at a retreat. And we, we put this folded up piece of paper and on the outside. It says, for those who are interested in the results of the U.S. presidential election, please pick this up. And then the winner, the winner's name's in there. So that year, um, at night when I was going to bed, uh, it looked like George Bush had won. And I woke up in the middle of the night and it looked like Al Gore had won. And then I woke up in the morning before going over to the retreat center and it said, we don't know who won. So that's what we put on the inside of the piece of paper. We don't know. And meanwhile, people have been meditating intensively in silence for like a month or, or maybe even a little more at that point. And And so people who came in for what we call interviews, just these short meetings where you describe your meditation practice and you get some feedback. They were kind of spaced out. And they were like, don't we usually know the next morning? And I said, yeah, we do. But there's something very strange going on. And you were the person there who had the most experience in government, in that world, and you just knew how strange it was. So it brings it all back just having you.
0: I was, uh, I was freaking out. I, uh, y- you know, when I, and, and I think over the course of several days, um, I mean, this went on, they finally announced the, uh, the winner of that race on the, uh, the last day of the retreat mm-hmm. uh, as we were let back into the, uh, into the world. <laughs> and, um, but I remember looking about three times and it still said that we don't know, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I remember asking you, Sharon, in, in this ten-minute interview, we were really supposed to talk about your practice. I was like, Sharon, I'm dreaming. I'm this. I'm I, you know. I, I and, and you're like, Mark. I remember you said, Mark, I'll tell you. And I was like, I don't think I want to know. I think it'll just cause me to, <laughs> my brain to just like, keep keep uh, keep spinning even more. So,
2: <laughs> well, you came to us from the halls of Congress. Is that right? You were working. Yeah, there?
0: yeah. I worked for a senator um, and. Uh, And uh, for a long time, yeah.
2: Yeah, so I really, I do think of you because you really did know how very, very off it was. (laughs) (laughs) Here we were. Yes, yes. I had
0: all sorts of scenarios in my my, uh, yogi mind. um, (laughs) So for sure.
2: (laughs) So how did you uh, end up coming to IMS?
0: You know, I um, had uh, been going through a challenging time in my life, and I had—I um, was coming out of the closet, and I was sort of a late, uh, late bloomer in coming out of the closet. I'd worked on Capitol Hill for a while, um, and I—you um, know—I I took a job in uh, the senator I worked for. Moved back to his home state, which is my home state of Missouri, and I moved with him to help him with some of his advocacy work back home. And then I just, as I was coming out, I just decided I needed a total break from what I was doing. And I um, decided to go to the Kennedy School at Harvard to get a master's degree in public policy. And I got there and I was like, it's felt like the same sort of rat race that I'd been in just in a different context. And so I remember, it was uh, on Rosh Hashanah, I remember, going mm-hmm. to the beach and getting uh, uh, Larry uh, uh, Rosenberg's book on um, meditation and sitting there. And uh, I started going to Cambridge Insight Meditation Center the next morning and um, just found that uh, what I really wanted to focus on was on love and love and kindness mm-hmm. and uh, connection and that I was, it was something I wasn't going to learn in the U.S. Senate and I wasn't going to learn it uh, (laughs) at at Harvard either. So, (laughs) and so I, I I eventually, you know, I, I took your class. I I had to sort of make my strongest case to get off the waiting list and into a week-long meta course that you Mm -hmm. were teaching. And, um, it was, uh, totally transformative. And after that, I, you know, took all my stuff and threw it in storage and uh, um, took the next year off and uh, just spent half of it in retreats and half of it backpacking around the country. And it was, uh, it was quite a year.
2: Mm. It's so interesting because, you know, for so many people, especially people kind of in the world, working hard in the world and trying to affect change, um, the word love is not that appealing in a way, you know. It often is equated with weakness or giving in or yeah. using one's edge. But you seem to have an immediate kind of spark for that.
0: Yeah, it, it wasn't. It wasn't on the uh, you know on the syllabus at uh, at the the big H in
2: Cambridge. So mm-hmm. I needed to uh, go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, but you wanted to, which is kind yeah. of amazing, you know, as an activist. Yeah, it's. It was really
0: you know what i what I learned it was it was the practice of of love and kindness was was instantly so powerful to me as somebody who you know I didn't come out of the closet as a gay man until I was um thirty years old, and so I was keeping this you know this um this part of myself secret for from everybody, like, mm-hmm. my, I didn't come out of the closet. I didn't share that information with anybody other than a couple of therapists. No friends, no family, and so it was. Um, you know, it, it was. Uh, I was really feeling. Um, you know, I felt like this part of myself could not be lovable when, and if this part of myself was known to the world, I wouldn't be lovable. And so the notion of um, of you know, a finding that somewhere on, you know, beneath my fears and, um, self-doubt and self-hatred and, uh, that, that there was sort of this light of, uh, of meta of love and kindness, uh, that was burning brightly that I could sort of shine on myself and on others, um, was like the, you know, among the most important discoveries I've made in my life. So I'm, uh, that's that's why uh, um, you know the I, I think the book that I've read the most I don't it's not I think the book that I've read the most in my life is uh, your your first book Love and Kindness mm-hmm.
2: that
0: I've shared the most with uh, with others so it's uh, it really changed my life
2: well well thank you I'm, I'm so glad this is the 25th anniversary of the year it came out which wow. is kind of remarkable yeah 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 that is amazing. So one of the um, themes from the book, Real Change, that I'm exploring also in this podcast series, which, by the way, is named Meta M-E-T-T-A. Not everyone knows that because they just hear meta. Uh Meta M-E-T-T-A, is the Pali word, language of the original Buddhist text for loving kindness or love. So, um, But some of the themes I'm exploring in the book are around anger and rage and the ways they can propel us to action and the ways they can burn us up. So can you tell us a little bit about your own personal journey with anger
0: yeah, you know it's it's interesting. I remember what, during that three month retreat in um in Berry, um is when I really you know uncovered a lot of so much anger and rage um at uh, you know, at myself, at my family, at the sort of the conditions that led me to stay in you know stay in the closet and keep this aspect of myself hidden for so long. Um, and you know, I know a lot of people have this notion that you go to a long meditation retreat and you uh, discover the um, you know the, uh, the, the the learnings of the Buddha in uh, you know in, in in sort of in in a blissful sort of way. And that was never my experience. It was like anger, rage, and it, it, it <laughs> was, um, and it was exhausting looking at it, uh, for, and, and I remember some of the teachers, uh, told me, you know, don't stare at these, you know, these, uh, mind states for, you know, for, you know, 15 hours a day, you need to pace yourself. Um, but you know, I, and, and I, um, I think what I've, um, you know, what I've, been able to do with them is to or what i understand is that and, and and get in a sort of visceral way is that there is something beneath those feelings those uh you know the, those um those difficult uh emotions and feelings and that is this notion of connection and love and it's it doesn't mean that that's what's you know sort of prominent much of the time but it's uh just having experienced being in touch with that feeling and, um, um, of, of love and connection, uh, meant for me that even when I'm feeling angry and, um, you know, disconnected and, you know, I, I, I knew that, um, that there was something, uh, something else, something, uh, mm-hmm. something better.
2: I'm so glad you said that. Cause I think part of what, um, makes us feel the most hopeless or broken in a way is when we don't feel there's anything intact, you know, that it's all fallen apart. And in the new preface for this book, Real Change, I got to write a preface because the publication date was delayed. Hmm. And um, it was delayed because of the pandemic. And of course the whole book was written before the pandemic. Right. And um, somebody was reading it. And uh, suggested that I try to give some context for our time. And uh, so I wrote this preface. And part of what I said in the preface was that um, word is that after the atom bomb dropped in Hiroshima, um, there was even further psychological devastation because there was a rumor that the grass and the trees would never grow again. So it's like even nature was just broken. and. Severed, and that as horrible as the suffering was after the the bomb, once people were reassured that in fact the grass and trees would grow grow again, then there was a much greater ability to go on. So I think we we count on something being intact, you know. Mm-hmm. Even when things are terrible and cruel and awful, there is something that we can actually count on. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, so across your career, you've faced many losses in your work, and I know that proposition A prompted you to relocate from Massachusetts uh, to California, even so how does one recover from those kinds of setbacks? like where do you look for resilience?
0: yeah, um look, any serious uh social movement um, of any sort uh, has plenty of, plenty of losses and, uh, mm-hmm. you're likely to lose a lot at the beginning. And, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting in the marriage equality movement that I was a part of for 15 years. Um, initially, uh, when I first got involved, so many people said to me, uh, you know, this is you're never going to win. There's no chance. This is, uh, this is impossible. Uh, why are you even bothering? The Catholic church is going to crush you. And, um, and, and this was including a number of, uh, LGBT people felt that way. And, um, and you know, one of the, th- and then at the end, um, when we got close to the end, at least, and, and it looked like things were really going our way, people were like, well, it's, this is, happening on its own it's uh you know this is inevitable and uh so it was it was a great lesson to me that that um that both uh, impossible and inevitable have something very deep in common and that is <laughs> that it allows you to not do anything if you're sort mm-hmm. of sitting on the sidelines saying this is never going to happen it's impossible don't get your hopes up or if you're sitting on the sideline saying it's going to happen on its own um you know it's it's uh it's where my focus has always been is on the work of trying to help bring something that lots of people think is impossible to a place where it, you know, it is close to inevitable, but on, on, and, and over the course of that sort of period, there are plenty of losses for me. Um, on the issue of marriage equality, um, you know, I was, I was always so inspired by, I mean, I was inspired at, by my own feeling my own quest of wanting to have the opportunity to get married and sort of, uh, going through my, you know, late twenties, early thirties where a number of my friends, uh, uh, straight friends got married and I was fortunate to be, you know, to be in their weddings and be a groomsman or a best man and, um, seeing how, you know, and having this sort of mixed feeling of, of, you know, just so happy for them. And, uh, but also feeling that this was something that wasn't available to my, to myself and that my own love was not, um, was not uh, Mm -hmm. um, appreciated. Um, And then, and then as I got in this move, as I sort of entered into this movement, um, what I was just inspired by the notion of, um, of kids, uh, young LGBT people, and um, um, who could have a different vision of their life. Um, and also I was inspired by these, by older couples, couples who had been together for 40, 50 plus years, who had lived through so much of, uh, you know, so much discrimination and, and physical and emotional violence and and so they really kept me going. It's the vision of these kids and the vision of uh, or the you know, holding these kids and these seniors in my own um experience helped me um sort of pick back up and keep uh keep going. Um mm-hmm. It wasn't always you know, it wasn't always easy um at all. Prop eight, which you mentioned, was a really especially tough one. I will never forget being in the Prop 8, Proposition 8, uh, um, headquarters, um, in November of, uh, 2000 and, uh, 2008. And it was like the world around us was rejoicing because Obama, became we had elected the <laughs> president and yet the people of California, you know, perceived as one of the most progressive places in the country, uh, voted to take away gay people's ability to marry and, uh, Felt like we were really, you know, really second-class citizens at that uh, point, point. Um, and people people forget that even uh, you know back then even uh, Barack Obama was opposed mm-hmm. to gay people being able to marry. So um, that's all part of what a uh, what a social movement is. And we, you know, we picked up after that loss, and we, um, you know, there was plenty of grieving, um, but it also brought forth a whole new generation of activists who um you know who were ready to roll up their sleeves and go to work.
2: Mm. And in the midst of like the struggle or the the long-termness of it with the losses, does it feel like it's um difficult to also take joy in the wins? I know that you have some quotes in, in the book Real Change about that very thing. Like you wanted to put like even one small win on the table every day.
0: Yeah, it's so. The, yeah, the way one way to break it down, um, you know, for a long fight, a long civil rights battle, uh, is to. And, and this, at least, this is the way my mind works. Is you know, I need to be able to see some level of forward movement. Uh, so, you know, so it's like, what can we accomplish this? day this month this year that is demonstrating forward progress even if we're going to lose seven ballot initiatives in states and we're um you know etc so is it getting a somebody who's unexpected um you know a prominent business leader to come out and support and write an op-ed piece or is it uh getting you know having a five percent increase in in polling um so it's in a, in a state, so, or, or getting a marriage bill to, um, you know, through a committee, uh, um, so it's, it's, uh, it's figuring out ways to break, break, a social movement down, you know, into bite-sized pieces so that we always can have some place to, uh, to focus and, uh, we don't judge our wins in, you know, on a daily, weekly basis and, uh, you know, and, and, in a too uh, sort of critical manner.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think it, it always seems like it's not enough, right? right. Or, or what we can affect in one action is, is just never enough. And, um and yet how do we keep going? You know, how do we find resilience? We have to learn, I think, to actually take in the joy as well.
0: Yeah. And, and so it is, it's definitely taking in the joy and it's also, you know, I would always, or, you know, often hearken back to this, you know, who am I, you know, who am I fighting for? And, um, and, uh, um, you know, I think about some of these, you know, gay elders who have been at it for, you know, for, for decades, and um, these things don't happen uh, all at once. And, uh, you know, I look at their resilience. And, uh, you know, I remember this one couple in particular, a Boston a gay couple in uh, Boston and I got to know them. They started marching in the pride, uh, parades, um, in Boston pride and they carried a sign. The first time I met them, they carried a sign that said, uh, 47 years together. And, uh, um, <laughs> so we introduced ourselves and, you know, it was like, you know, really remarkable. And then I got to know them and, you know, eventually they, uh you know Massachusetts of course was the first state and eventually they carried a sign that said uh like uh 51 years uh together one year married um but they mm. you know they talked about um you know marching in the first prize and teachers wearing bags over their heads and being uh mm-hmm. you know having people throwing tomatoes at them and you know the, having their house vandalized and reporting it to the cops and the cops just laughed in their face and so it was um you know it, it, it just just being mindful of um of 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 uh where we've come from and where uh-huh. we're going and what the vision is uh helped uh deal with um it helped make setbacks seem more like um you know transitory things rather than uh you know this is the this is the end hmm
2: uh-huh. actually listening to you and reflecting on you know some of the people um in real change I, I i keep thinking that loving kindness for oneself and not just for oneself but you know to have that kind of self-respect is like an essential ingredient in being able to work in a movement for change because um you know the world may be telling you you're not worth much or you're not equal or, or you're not as good or whatever. And maybe they've been telling you that for 51 years, but um, there's something in you that has to know that's not true. Yeah, And, and I, I have the right, um, which is not an egotistical statement, you know, but I have the right to be treated with the dignity that is actually part of my being. Cause it's part of everyone's being. And, and it's a, not often articulated if ever articulated aspect of a movement
0: yeah yeah i i totally agree and i yeah i remember the you know thinking about the uh the, the buddha's teaching that um you know that that uh you yourself are as deserving of uh mm-hmm of, of, of worth and love as, as anybody else. Um, basically no more deserving, but certainly no less deserving. Um, mm-hmm. that was, um, yeah, I remember just sitting with that and thinking about it, like, my God, can that, is that really possibly possible to be true that, um, mm-hmm. and, um, it's, uh, I think for any, for lots of people who, uh, you know, for who have, uh, who are born into a disadvantaged group or who, um, you know, who have tough family experiences. It's, uh, that's a powerful, um, notion.
2: I was just looking over, um, not too long ago, uh, the, the transcript of the talk that the Dalai Lama gave in the meditation hall at the Insight Meditation Society. He came Hmm. to visit in 1979 and we were of course young and, uh, he was coming to Amherst at Bob Thurman's invitation. who was then at Amherst College and, and Amherst is, you know, like 40 minutes away from Barry. So we wrote We wrote the private office, a letter. We said, Hey, we're a Buddhist center too. Does he want to come here? Mm. And we got back a letter saying, yes, he'll come. Wow. So Amazing. that was outrageous. And uh, we had, um, you may remember the bowling alley, the bowling lane. Yep. We have a one lane bowling alley in the, in the basement uh, of the center. Cause when we, When we bought it, it was a Catholic novitiate, and so there were a lot of kind of social amenities there. Um, And we actually had a – we inherited from the Fathers of the Blessed Sacrament a room full of bowling shoes, and you know. So when the Dalai Lama came, it was still functioning, and he he did roll a ball. (laughs) So everyone asked me, like, how'd he do? And I said, I don't remember. You know, I was like so freaked out. Um, But then he came into the meditation hall, and he gave a talk and um in the uh question period that followed so we had a retreat maybe it had been going on for two weeks at that point uh because somebody raised his hand and said uh i've been meditating for two weeks and i don't think i can do it i'm just like incredibly discouraged i think i don't have the capacity to develop wisdom uh i just can't do it and I think this was the Dalai Lama's first trip to North America actually and he just looked really surprised and a little bit confused and and then he said, Well you're just wrong. Hmm. You're just wrong. And he went on, you know, to describe what they believe would be the innate capacity every single human being has mm-hmm. for growth and change and wisdom and love and uh but it was such a, a kind of startling moment like, Well you're just wrong hmm. like Forget that point of view, you
0: know, I love that. That's yeah, that's, that's, uh, so, so true. It's, um, it's, it's easy to, uh, easy to forgets, um, very easy to forgets.
2: So, uh, you know, I'm wondering about sort of, you've now interlaced loving kindness practice in particular, loving kindness practice or meditation and in with your activism and, uh, would seem like it's very nourishing part of that.
0: It is without a doubt. Um, I think, um, for me it's, it's both to connect with other advocates on my Mm -hmm. side of the issue. And, and, uh, you know, instead of, um, you know, and and having some gentleness and compassion and, uh, instead of sort of, going with my first thought of that's a, that's a terrible idea. That'll, you know, that'll cause us to lose that. will You know, it's mm-hmm. modulating that and recognizing that these are, you know, good people who are, who are trying to, you know, who are fighting for the same cause I am. Um, and then I think, I think even more profoundly it's when um, in making the case to, to others, I mean, we've, one of the real, strengths of the marriage movements is that we grew from, uh, you know, 20 some odd percent support nationally in 1996 to today we're, you know, we're close to 70%. And Mm -hmm. that was a lot of changing of hearts and minds and core to that work was, um, figuring out how to connect to, uh, to people that weren't with us and Uh a lot of um, a lot of restraint and um, you know, and uh, sort of gentleness to um, look at somebody who is not with you or who, and and I'm generally not talking about the people who are just vociferous opponents um, because we didn't need everybody and we didn't have to like try to convince uh, you know, the, the most uh, sort of, fundamentalist, um, uh, religious believer. Uh, um, but what we, but there were plenty of people in the middle who, who were like, you know, I know some gay people, I think they're fine people. Um, but why it is, why do they, why do they need to call it marriage? And why, um, should a uh, um, can't they call, you know, can't they call it something else? And, you know, or, um, you know, I'm con- really conflicted because, you know i have a family member who's gay and and i know her partner um but i also uh grew up in you know in the catholic faith and i know that the catholic faith taught me this about gay people um and so it's 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 helping i mean so responding to people and saying well you know what you're opposed to us you're a bigot uh is a you know shuts down the conversation quickly and and people get defensive and back up and uh and um it doesn't move the ball forward it's and it's it's hard work it's hard work um emotionally to to um ask people to uh to really think about what's truly important to themselves and and, and a you know big part of our work was educating. Uh, straight people about who same sex couples were. A lot of people had these notions in their mind that, um, you know, that gay people were sort of people, you know, huge partiers who only lived in Greenwich Village and San Francisco. And, you know, they they, everybody uh dresses up and goes to pride parades. And, you know, there's there are plenty of folks that that do that, including myself, but it's (laughs) all um you know there're also uh you know the, the, this very significant you know percentage of people who are partnered who are living in a loving and committed relationship and um you know they people just didn't know that mm-hmm. uh, so it was really um um opening you know helping people understand who same sex couples were and then um connecting to them like getting helping straight people see that uh you know that our relationships are really not, not not different from theirs. That our love and commitment is similar. That we want to marry for the same reasons, and um, that that they may have conflicts in their like everybody has conflicts in their belief system. That somebody can be a uh, an observant um, uh, you know a, a, an observant uh, person and have been taught that homosexuality is wrong, but then you ask them like what's most fundamental about your religious Teachings And usually people say some version of treat others the way you want to be treated, the golden mm-hmm. rule. So it's like, and, and, and giving people permission to evolve and to, you know, to, to move our way is, is, um, and that takes, that all took plenty of empathy, um, on our parts and, um, gentleness and not letting the anger, um, sort of, uh, get in the, you know, get, get uh-huh. in front of things. So it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's yeah. Hard work.
2: Yeah. It is. I, mean, I remember I saw the movie about Harvey Milk. I don't know how many times it felt like mm. uh, every friend that I was hanging out with wanted to see it separately. Yeah. So <laughs> I went like a lot of times and, and which was fortunately I really thought it was a good movie, but uh, there was this line in there when um, they faced some kind of defeat in, in some campaign or another. And he said to his group, everybody has to come out. And I thought what an incredible statement because how we declare the other and who is the other. Yeah. And, you know, we have that sense of separation because they are so different. But like, what about if it is my cousin, you know, and what about, like, what is this division that is just a construct? Mm-hmm
0: yeah i that's what the movements that i've been involved in are largely about human rights and that's you know that's really what human rights um movements are about and you know and and um so i've i've more recently done work with um as you mentioned before with uh uh with people who have been convicted of felonies
2: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
0: so you know the division in a lot of people's minds about well what is you know these people are different these people are the other these people did something bad and something that i haven't done and so mm-hmm. part, part of it is helping <laughs> helping people break it down to understand you know what a felony is um but you know and and then it's and then helping people listen to some of the um some of the stories of, uh, of, of these, of these folks and that they aren't so mm-hmm. the other that, uh, you know, somebody gets hooked on drugs and then robs, uh, something. And does that mean they shouldn't be able to vote, uh, ever mm-hmm. again? It's, um, the same, you know, I do a lot of work with, uh, with undocumented immigrants and it's the same, mm-hmm. uh, same, same situation. Like there it's like, well, these people are illegal and it's like, what does that mean? And it's, uh, mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're actually human beings who are, you know, in the climate we're all living in these days, human beings who are doing the essential services of, uh, mm-hmm. your food and, and, uh, growing your food and helping you out when you get to the hospital and all of that. And, and so they're you know, that's, that is a lot of the, the work that I do and, and it, it does, um it definitely syncs up with, uh, you know, with, with the practice of, uh, of loving kindness at, mm-hmm. at its roots.
2: What do you find really effective ways? Is it hearing the stories? Is it seeing the stories? Is it meeting the people of dissolving that sense of otherness, you know, like, yeah. um, it, it's hard for me to say, cause in each of those instances, um, well, with undocumented immigrants, for example, you know I felt really um, in accord with a lot of movements you know like Ajin Poo and uh, domestic workers and um, but it was actually when i was i was in the hospital uh, like a year and a half ago in California, and then when I came out, I was staying with these friends and I had twenty four hour home health aids mm. and uh, hearing their stories, which was also somewhat um, in this book, you know, it was a whole other kind of acquaintance, you know, people coming to the night shift because they were working another job all day, you know, yeah, or taking their father to dialysis or, um, you know, and I never knew their immigration status unless – something happened like I asked you have a driver's license or something, you know, but yeah. uh, you know, it was it was totally irrelevant. But I thought, wow, you know, look what these people are doing for me, you know, and it was a whole other level of appreciation. I
0: think that's that is crucial, the 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 notion of uh having people like that in your life um to to understand um who they are and what makes you know who they are, what makes them tick and the fact that we're all sort of in this together it's it's it can be challenging in the abstract um like you know on, on back to marriage equality it was uh, you know we talked to certain people and you know who weren't uh, who weren't with us on on uh, marriage equality or LGBT equality. And they'd talk about the other, the other, and then they'd be, Oh, except for that nice guy, you know, my, my friend's uh, son who just came out, he's the sweetest kid in the world. And I'd want, Mm -hmm. well, should he be able to get married? And they're like, well, maybe, but (laughs) But it's it's that it's so I think one of our core strategies, and and that is why Harvey Milk, who is one of my heroes uh, Mm -hmm. said, you know, you need to come out because if people, if we are the unknown, then people have, you know, people can develop images of who the entirety of the LGBT community is, um, that isn't, that is really inaccurate. And, um, mm-hmm. um and so I, I think it's, it's, um, on other movements, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's also something similar. It's, it's, it's figuring out how do you, how do you get people to, connect and and often mm-hmm. that means you aren't trying to get them to um to a place way far from where they're starting it's like how do you get them to take a, two steps towards you because they know somebody like you and realize that you're a decent uh decent human being um so and that's that's always been my approach to change is that people don't sort of Revolutionize themselves uh, too often. It's it's uh, how do you get them to uh, think you know think about the person who's taking care of their kids or taking care of their house and try to extrapolate a little bit from that um, without uh, turning them into uh, sort of social radicals.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm, Um, mm
0: -hmm. And um, so it's it's ultimately and it's something you stress (laughs) a lot in your writing. It's about Figure out ways to connect. And the mm-hmm. more you connect, the uh, the more you break down barriers and the more you're able to expand your circle of people who are, you know, who you care about uh, beyond yourself and your family and inner circle of people.
2: Like, given that, you know, I've been to a few prisons to teach, um, and not everybody is going to have that experience. Like, I went to a woman's women's prison and I swear every single woman in there was there because of a relationship. Mm. You know, some yeah. guy said, oh, would you just drive the car, you know, while I, and wait outside while I rob the bank or something, you know, and uh, it was kind of extraordinary. And I, I was in another prison once where um, that one the, it was a men's prison. It was much more short term in terms of how long people were there. And um, the staff was much more problematic. I did a program for the staff after I did a program for the prisoners and staff was much more difficult actually, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and therefore, you know, no doubt suffering a lot and, and it would be interesting to have a program for them, but not everyone's going to go into a prison. And so um, do you use media? Like how do you, yeah, how do you approach that sense of connection?
0: A lot of, a lot of media um, for sure. Um, You know, in Florida, on this ballot campaign that I worked on, um, uh, you know, Florida was one of the very few states where if you were convicted of a felony, um, you were barred from voting forever. And so it was um, we it was in some ways it was similar to the uh, to some of the work on LGBT equality in that about 10% of Floridians have been convicted of a felony I and mean, we needed people to come out as, as ex felons, as someone who was convicted of a felony um, mm-hmm. cause everybody knew somebody who had been convicted of a felony, who had, um, you know, driven with a suspended driver's license when they were 21 or who, you know, it's, uh, there are all sorts of things that, that were felonies. So that was a part of it. But then it was also, um, also using the media, using, uh, um, you know, paid uh, paid TV commercials uh, with especially poignant stories that help um, connect, uh, you know, that help as many people as possible connect to who these folks are. It's often, um, you know, people who have done things for their country and, um, and yet made a mistake um, or, uh, um, you know, people who, you know, a guy who has a, Purple Heart from Vietnam, who uh, you know, who then um, you know came back and was depressed, and you know, sold uh, sold marijuana for you know, and, and now he's barred from voting for the rest of his life, and so it's it's finding stories that people can get in their in their guts, like oh my god, uh-huh. I, if I'd been in Vietnam, maybe you know, I, I, I listen to this guy, I can I you know, I can see and hear. What he was going through, and I could have made that same mistake myself. And of course, this person who has a purple heart and fought for this country shouldn't be barred from voting. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's it's finding ways, you know, as, as you were saying, separate from being able to introduce everybody to somebody. It's it's being able to take mm-hmm. the most poignant, you know, some of the most poignant stories, uh, um, and figure out ways to um, to bring them to to people.
2: It's incredible work, um, and I think it it so uh, strongly reflects what I've always felt. Like, well, if you ask the people who say that the most salient feature of their religion is love thy neighbor as thyself, whether they believed imprisonment was for rehabilitation or for punishment, I bet a lot of them might say rehabilitation, you know? But yeah. then what does that look like then?
0: Right, 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 yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally.
2: So I want to talk to you about a political cause that is very dear to my heart, which is voting. Um, And uh, in my mind, the uh, emphasis on everybody voting, I mean, look at this miracle that you can vote. You haven't been barred from it because of a mistake you made when you were 18 or something. but. As much as people try to keep that right to vote from people, uh, it seems to me that it so deeply reflects the Buddhist teaching on the inherent worth of everybody. And Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes people complain about my fixation on urging people to vote, so I'm going to do it again. (laughs) Um, uh, I once was doing a program on mindfulness with Tim Ryan, the congressman, and we were in Washington, D.C., and... It was all about mindfulness. I just kept talking about voting. And finally, Tim turned to me and said, are you running for office? (laughs) And I said, no, but you are. Um,
0: I'll be your campaign manager, Sharon, if you do not Thank you.
2: (laughs) Somebody, my friend Shelly, who uh, is a fireball of energy, um, wanted to start a uh, campaign about kindness, vote in kindness. And she made these T-shirts that said, Sharon 2020. (laughs) So... uh, I'll tell her I have a campaign manager now. <laughs> um, but the, uh, you know, I, I think it is such a spiritual act. I think it's a sacred act, and and I feel pains when I hear people are barred from voting, or, or, you know, because of the manipulation, so many people can't vote, or they wait eight hours in the rain, or yeah, something like that. You know, because I do think it's a sacred act. I do think it's so deeply reflective. Of the fact that we have worth, we should have a voice, whoever we are, and even whoever we're going to vote for, you know, yeah, that it's so important that people honor that and and get engaged.
0: Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. It was, um, I I certainly learned a lot about the value of voting and the importance of being able to vote and, and the meaning of it during that campaign I was talking about in Florida, where people who had made a mistake were barred from voting for the rest of their lives and what that meant to them and, and, you know, what it meant to them as a, as a citizen and as a, um, you know, as a, you know, was this notion that they were less than for the rest of their lives. They couldn't, um, you know, they couldn't, couldn't get a second chance. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I think, um, you know, the notion of, you know, so many efforts that that try to make it harder for people to vote are just so depressing. It's actually one of the things I, I, um, in this period of time, pre-election, I'm spending a lot of time working with big cities in particular and helping them um, ensure that they are ready to, you know, ready to have robust elections in November, that they can recruit enough poll workers, even in this time of pandemic uh so that you don't end uh-huh. up with 8-hour uh, long lines in places like Atlanta or Milwaukee and um and uh that you you know you can vote early and and uh you know you don't have to you know if if you work if you have a job that doesn't let you take off on uh on election day you can vote over the weekend before and and you know voting should be something that is really simple to do um, and and uh, it, you know the, the notion of people who are trying to make it harder is just—you um, know—they've—they've—they've got some—they've they've got some, uh, they've got some uh, internal work to do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you are a good person. <laughs> and on that note, um, would you like to uh, close this conversation? Although it's so great to talk to you, would you like to close it by leading a, a practice?
0: sure i um as you know as we've talked about, I do have a meta practice and i um i'm like uh probably like many practitioners i i have phases where I do it a lot and phases where I do it a little, but it's but even just the knowledge that it's there is uh is a great comfort and I try to do it more than not to it but um why don't um we just uh sit and do a uh a basic um Uh, loving kindness uh, meditation to ourselves and to other uh, to other beings and so we can um, sit and close our eyes and think about why we each deserve um, to be loved and uh, the phrases that I use um, are as follows and people can All along with the phrases that they have uh, used. I say, uh, may I be free, may I be safe and protected, may I be filled with love, and may I dwell in peace. May I be free, may I be safe and protected, May I be filled with love, and may I dwell in peace. And then to think about the world that we inhabit, and the furthest stretch that we can uh, Go. this is i often end my meditation with wishing those same feelings and thoughts really to all all living beings may all living beings including myself be free may all living beings be safe and protected may all living beings be filled with love May all living beings dwell in peace. Well, thank you, Sharon, for uh, for having me on. It was real uh, a real honor. Oh
2: um, well, thank you. So delightful to connect with you again, and thank you all for for joining us to learn more about Mark's work. You can visit www.civitaspublicaffairs.com That's C I V I T A S P U B L I C A F F A I R S. dot com. This has been the Real Change series on the Metta Hour podcast from the Be Here Now Network. May you be safe, be happy, be healthy, and live with ease. Hey folks, thanks for listening. Real Change is available September 1st in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook formats. Learn more at realchangebook.com.